go to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. 1 Kings 18, verse 41. And let's just look at a familiar passage of Scripture tonight. And um, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Get up and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elisha went up to the top of Car- Carmel, and there he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he went and said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the, before the rain stops you. Then it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. So I want you to look at verse number, uh, verse 43, and he said to a servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Lord, we just ask for your blessing upon the word tonight that everything that's said and done would bring you the glory and bring you the praise. We pray tonight that your word would go forth in power and boldness. And everyone said, Amen. I want you to shout this real loud with me. Go again. Come on, and somebody say, Go again. You know, one of the things that I think that as a Christian, that um, sometimes I think that we can get tired and worn out over is this constant um, believe in God and see in nothing. Let's get real tonight. How many would raise your hand and say, I, I think I'd agree with that. Believe in God, praying, believing, seeking God, and you see, you don't see the results that you normally would see. You go to church services and you get really encouraged you get strengthened, and uh, you feel like, you know, I got a word, and then you still see nothing. <laughs> but but you got the word to go on, and it's this constant believing God and seeing nothing. Now, to be truthful and to be honest, we do see God move, and I think that we see God move sometimes in subtle ways. Sometimes we see God in in sudden ways. There's two different ways that He moves: sudden ways. And subtle ways he moves. And sometimes we're not aware of the subtle ways that God moves. We, I firmly believe that we miss the subtle ways of God because we're looking for the sudden ways of God. Now that's a word for you tonight that will help you out. We look for the sudden ways of God when actually God is working subtly. And so... If we can understand that principle that sometimes our discouragement in our our prayer life, our spiritual disciplines, us believing the Word, us praying, us developing a relationship with the Lord, we get discouraged because we want to see God do certain things. And I think that we got to make a distinction here that God does move, but sometimes He moves suddenly, He moves quickly, and sometimes there's the subtle ways of God, and sometimes we miss those ways because we are looking for the sudden ways of God. Does that make sense? Everybody say amen. So we need to distinguish between the sudden moves of God 
and the subtle ways of God. God does move. God does answer prayer. That's, that's, that's scriptural. It's biblical. I've seen it happen. God does move. But our discouragement happens when we perceive that God should move suddenly when God is only moving subtly. Does that make sense? And so I think that when we can distinguish that, that brings encouragement to our heart. There's a familiar passage of Scripture that I just read to you about the prophet Elijah um, telling his servant, I want you to get up and I want you to go. And I want you to, uh, he says, verse 41, he says to Elijah, to Ahab, I want you to get up and drink and eat for there's a sound of abundance of rain. Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elisha also went to the top of the, the mountain, bowed down, put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, get up and look towards the sea. Uh, and, and his servant came back and said, there's nothing. And seven times the servant went back and forth. Now, you've got to understand the context here. It's a familiar passage. We've heard this preached many different ways. But I believe that the Bible is a treasure book, and you can never exhaust the Word of God, no matter how much you study it, no matter how much you exhaust it, you can never exhaust it too much. Because the Holy Spirit is paraclete. He always illuminates something new to you. And so the context here is that there is a drought. There is a major drought in Samaria. And uh, to the point that if you read the book of 1 Kings, the drought was so bad they were eating donkey heads and dove dung. And, uh, and they were eating their children. So it's, it's a bad drought. And uh, you know, and when there is a drought in our life, we have a tendency to eat donkey head, uh, dove dung and dove dung. Is that what they were eating? They were eating their children, you know, spiritually speaking, and I'm just reading into it, when, when, when there's a drought, sometimes we have the tendency to become so negative that we eat the next generation. That we criticize the next generation so much because they're not doing it the way we think they should do it. And they're, you know, we have a tendency to eat our children. We have a tendency to focus on the dove dung. We focus on the past moves of the Holy Spirit what it used to be, what it used to be like when there's a drought. So the context here, there is a major drought going on. And the prophet, the prophet said that it, there was not going to be any rain because of what Ahab and Jezebel was involved in and because of the sin. But you see that the prophet begins to go to the mountain uh, and he puts his head between his knees and that is a posture of prayer. Uh, he begins to pray. And when he begins to pray, he sends the servant to see if, if it's going to rain. And the servant came back seven times and he kept saying, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, when we are praying, there, it seems like there's nothing sometimes. We pray, 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 and there is nothing. The report is there is nothing. And I want to bring this out to you tonight because we've been focusing on prayer on Wednesday nights, praying making a special moment of praying on Wednesday nights. And it can become discouraging that we are like the prophet. We are putting our head between our knees. We are praying, and yet we, we, there's nothing. And we keep praying. And the servant comes back, and he keeps saying, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. And sometimes when we're praying, sometimes we, it looks like there is nothing. But let me say this, and let me say it loud and clear. That is not an excuse for you to quit praying. Just because you see nothing, that's not an excuse that you quit praying. Elisha could have said after the third time, all right, it's not going to rain. Just come back here and let's just eat and drink and have a good time. I've, done, I've prayed. 
nothing's happening, so let's just forget about it. The prophet was consistent. He was very persistent about it because he understood that the promise of the Lord, it was going to rain. And so the prophet said to the servant, I want you to keep going back. He keeps going back and he keeps reporting there's nothing. And I want to strongly suggest to you that prayer is a spiritual discipline. And just because you see nothing doesn't mean that something's not happening. Just because you see nothing doesn't mean something's not happening. Actually, something was really happening. He couldn't see it, but it was actually happening. And so he begins to pray. And one of the things that I learned about this story is that sometimes you can hear, sometimes you're in that season and you don't see anything, but sometimes in the season of nothing, you can sense something. I sense it, but I don't see it. I sense it, I don't see it. And I would, I would seem to think here that the prophet is sensing something even before he saw something. The reason that he sensed something is because he keeps telling the, the, the servant, I want you to go look and see if there's any rain coming. Obviously, the prophet was sensing something as he's praying, even though he didn't see anything. And so what I want you to see is that sometimes when you're praying, you may sense something, without seeing anything. You may sense something without seeing anything. How many would raise your hand and say, that's true, I have sensed something while I was praying, even though I didn't see it, and later it came to pass that it was true. Would you agree with that? And you know, I, uh, sometimes I'll text, you know, and the Holy Spirit, so, you know, He speaks to all of us differently, and um, it's really amazing. Sometimes I'll be praying, and the Holy Spirit will just, impress upon my heart somebody in the church and it's almost I feel like the Holy Spirit tells me exactly what's going on and that doesn't happen all the time but sometimes I sense it's just it's just like it's revealed to me very clearly that this is the issue and uh, and then and I'll maybe text some of the elders and tell them I sense this or and then some and it comes to pass not all the time it does sometimes I sense it before I actually see it and just because I don't see it, doesn't mean I stop praying. You see what I'm saying? Because in prayer, you will sense things before you see things. The Holy Spirit will give you a warning. The Holy Spirit, sometimes I've even sensed um, the Holy Spirit saying, this couple is upset and, uh, and this is the problem. And that couple has a smile on their face. They're faithful. They come to church and the Holy Spirit just reveals there's something wrong. And I'll go to them and say, I was praying and the Holy, I felt like the Holy Spirit sensed this. And I've had couples start crying before. Like, how did you know that? Well, sometimes in prayer, I don't see it, but I sure do sense it. Can I hear an amen? And that is why you, when, you, when you begin to pray, you cannot give up because you don't see it. Sometimes you will sense something before you see it. Sometimes you will send something before you see it. And you know, as, as the prophet begins to pray here, as his head is bowed, his head is in the face between his knees, he says to the servant, I want you to go. He keeps coming back saying, there's nothing. And then the prophet says, verse 43, I want you to go again. Go again. And I feel like that's the word of the Lord to us tonight is this. Even though you don't see anything, you need to pray again. You need to keep believing again. You keep, you keep reading again. You keep developing the spiritual disciplines in your life. You don't give up because it doesn't seem like you're not making progress. The Apostle Paul said to his son in the faith, he says, you did, or he said to the church, you did run well, but what hindered you? 
You did really well, but what hindered you? And sometimes what hinders us is that we want to see the sudden moves of God when God really is moving subtly in our life. There's that little, the little progress that He's making in our life. Go again. Go pray again. Believe again. Verse 44, And it came to pass the seventh time, He said, There is a cloud. It's small, about the size of a man's hand. So the last time the servant came back and said, Well, there's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. Now, my hand is not very big if you put it in the sky. You barely can see it. But that's exactly what he said. There's just something little in the sky. Barely, barely something I see. And what he's saying here, I don't see much, but I do see something. And I think sometimes we forget to celebrate the little. We forget to celebrate the little things that God is doing because we're looking for the sudden things. I mean, your kids may not be back to be where they want to be, but are they better? You may not be out of debt, but is your finances better? The church may not be where you think it should be, but is it better? Do you see any progress anywhere? Your marriage may not be perfect, but is it better? Do you see something going on? Is there little progress that you sense? Is there something that you see that the Lord is doing? Amen? Can I hear an amen? He goes back and he says, he says, there's a cloud. It's not much. It's the size of man's hand. It's not much. But you know what, you know what the prophet said? He said, I want you to get up. Go to Ahab. Prepare your chariot. I want you to go prepare because it's getting ready to rain. Now most people would have just saw the cloud and wouldn't thought anything of it. It takes a man and a woman discerning of the Spirit to understand that what I sense is getting ready to change to something I see. It takes a man of God to discern that. Because the common man and woman would have just walked outside, wouldn't have paid attention to anything in the clouds, but a man of God discerned that God was getting ready to move. That what I sensed in my spirit is getting to actually to happen. I'm getting ready to see it in my eyes. I don't know about you, but I sense something in the spirit. And some people don't see it, but I see it. And God's getting ready to do something great. Amen? Can I hear an amen? I sense it. I sense it. I like to hang around with people like that, don't you? I like to hang around with people that sense the moving of the Holy Spirit. That's not always negative and picking things apart and always, you know, and that there's a time and place for critical conversations. There's a time, to, uh, a place to, to talk about areas of improvement. There's also comes a time where you celebrate the little. You celebrate the little progress that's being made. That you celebrate. You see, David killed the lion and the bear before he ever killed Goliath. We want to kill Goliath. And God say, no, you've got to go back to the lion and the bear. Let's celebrate the lion and the bear before you get to the Goliath. Let's make little progress before you get to the Goliath. Let's make the little progress before you get to the, the giant. Let's, let, let's see what God wants to do here. And sometimes we give up being persistent in prayer because we want to see the sudden moves of God, the suddenly moves of God, the big moves of God, the quick moves of God, when God is actually moving very subtle in your life. What is it, ladies and gentlemen? Do you, do you sense it? You sense it before you actually see it. And when, when, you, when you see that, just because you don't see it doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean that he's not working. It doesn't mean he's not working. You know, Jezebel, uh, you know what's really interesting to me is that uh, Jezebel was very intimidating to the prophet. You know, you know that the Bible says he goes and sits down under a tree and after he outruns the 
chariots of Ahab, he gets discouraged and he sits down and he wants to die because he thinks he's the only one that's serving God. And just because you sense the presence of God and sense that God is moving and sometimes you see it, doesn't mean that you are free from the Jezebels of your life. You're going to have to fight Jezebel. You're going to have, you're going to, have to fight the battles. You know, we, we, we grew up in the old church, or I did, where we associated heaven with Canaan land, you know. We, we, we associated heaven with Canaan land. Crossing the Jordan, getting over to Canaan land. Well, you know, that's not really scriptural because you don't have to fight any giants in heaven. You know, when they crossed over, they had to fight the giants in Canaan land to possess the land. You don't have to fight anything in heaven. Can I hear an amen? But here on earth, you've got to understand something. You're always going to have to fight Jezebel. You're going to have to fight something that may be intimidating from you. So you see that you see that here in this story, and we're looking at some practical things in this story about prayer tonight. Practical things about prayer in this story. You see that the prophet went to the mountain, he puts his head between his knees, a posture of praying. As he is praying, he sees nothing. He sees nothing. He sees nothing. He continues to pray, and as he's continued to pray, on the seventh time, there was something that he saw. Now, he only saw it. The servant didn't see it. He saw it. He, or the, excuse me, the servant saw something little and came back and, and, and told, told the prophet, there's, a, there's something that's about the size of a man's hand. So sometimes you sense something before you actually see it. You sense it before you see it. That process happens in prayer. The reason that he sensed something is because he never gave up on praying. The Holy, that's how the Holy, that's the promptings of the Spirit, that's the nudges of the Spirit that you sense the Holy, and that's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit just doesn't come down and write everything out on a list and says this is exactly what you need to do. Sometimes you just feel that nudge, that push, that sense that this is the direction that you need to go forward in. So you see that he continued to pray, and as he continued to pray, he's in a posture of prayer. He sensed something before he actually saw something. And then you will see that when he saw it, it was very, very little. And the common man probably wouldn't even discern that it was a rain cloud because it was so little. But he understood that that little was an answer to his prayer. He understood the little was an answer to his prayer. You see, you have different seasons in your life. You have a season where you sense it. You have a season where there's little. And then you have seasons where you have abundance. Those, those are some seasons in our life. You have Egypt, the land of not enough. The wilderness, the land of just enough. And Canaan land, the land of more than enough. Egypt had six types of food, while if you study the Old Testament, Canaan had seven types of food. You see a progression from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land. That can be a typology of our own life, how in each of those phases, God deals with us differently. Egypt, the type of the world, God brings us out 
of the world. He brings us out of bondage. He brings us into a place of maybe wilderness, a place of learning, a place of growth, a place of preparation, and sometimes a place of not enough because sometimes you don't have, or just enough, excuse me, the wilderness is just enough. Sometimes you just have enough and you're praying for provision and you just have enough. Sometimes that's God's plan is just have enough. Sometimes we think that's of the devil. I just have enough. Sometimes that's God's plan. You just have enough. And then there are seasons in your life that you do have abundance. You, you experience a season or a harvest where you're experiencing abundance in a certain area of your life. And you go through this cycle of not enough, just enough, and more than enough. But in each of those cycles of your life, sometimes we give up on being consistent in prayer because especially in the wilderness when it's just enough and we're not seeing what we want to see, we, we, we let down our guard in our spiritual disciplines. And I'm telling you that if you don't let down your guard and you be consistent in your prayer life, you will begin to sense things that God wants to do. And if you're consistent in that, you're going to see what you have sensed. And I hear an amen. And I believe that, you know, the... 30 to 40 to 50 of us that meet on, on Wednesday nights, if we can cultivate this attitude of seeking God and praying for this church, do you know what the future can hold for us? Just a few of us. I just need a few of you to agree with me in prayer about what God wants to do. We can change the city of Galena just by a few of us praying and believing God for the impossible. Can I hear an amen? Just a few of us believe in and pray in God. Because I believe that church is more, Jesus said my house will be a house of prayer. Not a house of music, not a house of sermons, but a house of praying. And I, I feel like that this has to be a core value of our life, has to be a core value of this church. And uh, you know, sometimes we don't feel like praying. I don't feel like working every day, but I get into it after I get there. It's just like prayer. I don't feel like praying when I come, but I get into it when I, when I start going. And sometimes you just got to tell yourself that this is a discipline and I got to get my mind and my heart and my soul saying the same thing. And that's the tension. That is the tension of the Christian life. You, the flesh is willing, or the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think that the greater unity or the greater challenge is to get unity within us. You know, we, 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 we preach all the time, about us getting in unity as a church. But the greater challenge is me getting in unity with myself. My spirit saying the same thing my soul is saying, saying the same thing my mind's saying, my, same thing my body. I need to be unified in saying the same thing. And sometimes in prayer, we're not unified. Our mind's here, our soul's here, our spirit, you know, we're, we're distracted and it's hard for us to get in unity. But that's the challenge of prayer. And that's why prayer is a sacrifice. That's why... That is why it's a discipline. You have to develop it. It doesn't come naturally. You have to develop that prayer. You have to develop that discipline in your life. You see, you see, Watchman Nee once said that the body is the slave, the soul is the servant, and the spirit is the king. So, Body, soul, spirit. Body, slave, soul, servant, spirit, king. 
That was God's design in the garden. Now think about it. I'm not sure if he's right, but I think it's something to ponder. In the garden, the body was the slave, the soul, the mind, the will, and emotions was the servant, the spirit was the king. So therefore, the spirit ruled. When the spirit rules, it does what's right. The spirit wants to please God always. The spirit is king. What does the servant do? It obeys the king. So the mind, the will, and the emotions did whatever the king wanted to do. The king always wants to please God. So in the garden, they walked with God and talked with God. The body, the mind, the will, and the emotions was godly and holy and true and righteous and pure because that's the spirit. The body was dead. It's a slave. It's... But yet when they rebelled against God, it was flipped. The flesh became king. And the spirit became dead. And the soul is always the servant. It always obeys who's in charge. So since the flesh is in charge, the flesh is king, the mind, the will, and the emotions, who is the soul, obeys the king. So therefore, Cain kills Abel. Because his mind, his will, and emotions is being ruled by the body, and the body is the king. Jesus comes along in the new covenant and says in John 3, you must be born again. Because in the garden, the spirit died. And your body is in charge. That's why God had the laws of Moses. Because they had to control the king. They had to control the flesh. It had to be controlled. It had to be laws to control it. Because it was strong and mighty. It's a king. Jesus comes along in John 3 says, you must be born again. That thing that is dead must come alive again. So the moment that conversion happens, the spirit comes alive. And now it wrestles against the flesh. And the mind and the will and the emotions is the servant. It obeys who's in charge. And I would propose to you that salvation, you know you're saved because there's a struggle between the body and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. If there's no struggle, then I would propose you're not saved. Because what does the body struggle against? If it's dead, it has nothing to struggle against. But if it's the spirit is alive and quickened, Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead, but now you're quickened in the spirit. If it's alive, it's struggling against the flesh. And that's why you have carnal Christians. Carnal Christians is those who obey the flesh even though they want to do what's right. See what I'm saying? Walk in the Spirit. Don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You've got to make the Spirit king. You've got to make the Spirit in charge. How do you do that? You make decisions according to Scripture, principles and precepts. You follow the promptings of the Spirit, which is in line with the Word of God. It's not about jerking and shaking and falling on the floor. That's how we respond to how we feel to the Spirit. That could be a great experience that you have with God. But it's not that that produces growth. It's obedience that produces growth. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Obedience. Obedience is what it means to follow Jesus. 
People say, boy, I struggle so much with this. I struggle so much with this. Am I saved? Well, have you conf- Yes, you're saved. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're not saved. You've got to learn spiritual discipline so you can empower the spirit to be stronger than the flesh. You've got to count that, you've got to crucify the flesh, count it as dead. You've got a new nature now. You're a slave to righteousness. No longer empowered to live according to the flesh. You have power now over the flesh. You're stronger than the flesh. You have power because of what Christ has done at Calvary. So when you pray, there's going to be a battle between the flesh and the spirit. As Jesus said to the disciples who fell asleep as he was praying, he said, you know, your your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. They're falling asleep. Yet Jesus continues to pray continues to pray. Jesus is wrestling in prayer. He wrestled so much in prayer that at the end of the prayer, he came back to the disciples and said, get up, rise, and let's go. My betrayer is at hand. You know what Jesus is saying? I had all this time to wrestle it in prayer, resolve it in prayer that I'm going to be crucified, and I resolved it in prayer that you didn't, (laughs) you're not with me, but I resolved it in prayer, and so that's why I can go back and tell you, get up out of your sleep, my betrayer's at hand, I'm willing to go to the cross. And there are some things in your life that will never, you will never get victory over unless you wrestle it in prayer. You can come up here and I can pray over you and you'll fall on the floor, but there are some things that you will never get victory over unless you wrestle it and labor it in prayer. You'll never get victory over it. You'll never get victory over it unless there's a wrestling and dying to the flesh in prayer. You can come and listen to sermons. You can feel good. You can get the goosebumps. All that's good and fine. But there are some things that I've learned in my life that I don't get true victory unless I battle it in prayer. And that's what Jesus did. He battled it so much in prayer that it didn't matter whether they were sleeping or not. He said, arise, my betrayer is at hand. I am willing to be crucified now. That's why he told Judas when he kissed him, what you do, do it quickly. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be crucified because I wrestled it in prayer. I labored it in prayer. I got victory over it in prayer. You've got to get victory in, in prayer. Wrestle it in prayer. Five minutes of praying don't get it done. Sometimes you've got to walk the floor at night. Sometimes you've got to wrestle over your insecurities. Wrestle over what people have said to you. Wrestle it over and pray over it. Quote the word over it. Do spiritual. Sometimes you've got to declare war because some things are never won unless you battle it in prayer. It ain't going to work. I've done this thing all my life. I'm 38 years old. I've done it all my life. And some things have not are battled in prayer. I remember one time I was, I sensed, I sensed something before I ever saw it. And I remember in Amarillo, Texas, I got up every morning. I was going to the church, and I was, I, I can tell you what I, and I'm talking about my life because I can't talk about your life. And I'm, I, I remember on 1819 Canadian Avenue, I remember the church, I was serving there at that church. I was praying. I, I, I remember I was weeping. I could not stop crying. I sensed something. I didn't know what it was. I didn't see anything. I didn't have a phone call. I didn't have any bad news. I didn't have no reason to get up to pray. Just, you know, not anything particular. 
But yet, every day I felt this incredible sensing that something is off, something's wrong. And I, I would pray and pray. I remember I was so deep in prayer one night, I was crying so heavy. I was trying to get my breath because I was crying so bad because I didn't know what was wrong. The, ush, the janitor was trying to find me, and uh, he was yelling for me. I couldn't even hear him yell for me. Uh, he was in the back doing something. I didn't even know he was in the building. And I was so deep in prayer, I didn't even hear what he was saying. And, and so, you know, I was, I was, there was something wrong, but I couldn't pinpoint what it was. I went to bed one night, and so as I was sleeping, uh, my pastor comes into the room, and, and it was like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. He says, Josh, uh, get up. There's a phone call. You need to take it. I said, okay. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Take the phone call. Over the, I got the phone call. And the per, my uncle, Eric, said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to freak out. Please don't freak out. He says, I need you to stay very calm. I want to explain exactly what's wrong. I said, okay. He says, so-and-so, you know, uh, took a knife and stabbed it in the middle of their chest. And they probably won't make it. You need to come home. I said, okay. He said, are you all right? I said, yes, I'm, I'm okay. I hung up the phone. Immediately, I said to myself, David, i got to go pray. I took the cover, lifted it over, put my foot on the floor, and you know what I heard the Spirit say? Go back to bed. You've already prayed over it. Go back to bed. I've already prayed. Why? Because I sensed it. And as I was sensing it, I was praying even before I saw anything happen. I had already prayed over it. That person lived. It was a miracle, seriously, on life support, miracle. It lived because God answered my prayer because I was sensitive enough in the spirit to sense something before I ever saw it. And you know what happens to us? We wait till the tragedy happens to go in prayer so much. Call, we get on Facebook, call a prayer meeting, call our prayer partners, call the prayer warriors, let's bombard heaven. No, 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 my brothers and sisters. If you were listening to the Holy Spirit and sensing the Spirit, you could have already been praying weeks before the tragedy ever happened, and you don't need to bombard heaven when it does happen. That's what walking in the Spirit does. Being king to the Spirit where we're not taken off guard by things. You may be surprised that things happen, but that's when you pray in the Spirit, it prays through you the most perfect prayer. It prays things that you don't know what you're praying about. You sense it, but you don't see it. You sense it, but you don't see it. You sense it in prayer. He, the prophet put his head between his... 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 Uh, knees. He prayed. The servant said, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. Yet, But I would infer that the prophet sensed there's something going to happen. So keep looking, my brother. He comes back and says, well, you know, there's something little 